Thank you so much for having me. Westside Church, how are you going this morning? Last time I was here, I was here for the PM Revival Service. So because it's the 9.45 a.m., I've made it really boring and theological for you today. Hope that's all right. Um, I heard you had a working bee here yesterday. Hands up if you were involved in the working bee. Let's just take a look around the room. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up. So Pastor Louis, I heard from the Lord that everyone with their hands down is volunteering for the next one. So let's give Jesus some praise. Thank you for the army of faithful volunteers. Um, first and foremost, I want to honor Louis and Denise. Any pastors who have a healthy church post-pandemic, I mean, you guys are doing something right. To have all of these amazing people here, it's a testament to the fact that you looked after them and that you still look after them and that discipleship's in your heart. So can we thank and honor your pastors? So... My name is uh, Christian. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Anastasia, and I've had two significant changes in my life since the last time I was here. Number one, my hair has run away from my eyebrows. One more centimeter. <laughs> and number two, we have a beautiful baby boy, Luke. And uh, yeah, he, he's the cutest kid in the whole world. I feel like when you're a parent, something unlocks in your heart that has been there the whole time. And it's not the ability to make terrible jokes. It's something I think that God's put inside of you that just makes you cry at everything. So <laughs> I was really tough before I had my son. I, had a, I got a sleeve tattoo, you know. I used to play rugby and I'd go to the gym and now I'm just a potato. So <laughs> a boiled, squishy potato. Um, but yeah, a couple of rules for my baby. Actually, one in particular, look but don't touch, all right? Or my wife will cut you. Yeah, we, okay, he's very kid, it's very tempting. Um, but I heard you're doing a series on identity, is that correct? What a important and confronting and challenging topic, right? I think it's a great topic, but um, with this topic in mind, uh, I think God has a sense of humor because when I got the email from Denise about speaking at Westside, I got to admit, I was about two weeks into an identity crisis, um, I'm not sure if you saw the graphic posted on social media, but it sort of said my name in, on, this, on the little square and all these amazing things I did, but there was one word, it said was. It's like Christian Anesty was Hillsong College trainer, Hillsong pastor. And it was literally two weeks before my end date as a staff member at Hillsong Church as a pastor. And uh, I was in this whole sort of, oh, I'm about to kind of not be that anymore. And I'm being asked to come and speak on identity when I can't tell my, you know, head from my toes right now about what to do with my life. And going through all those questions like, am I leaving the call of God on my life because I've left a ministry job, right? Or am I going into another job? I've had another job lined up. Don't worry, I'm a responsible adult with a family. <laughs> um, this new role that I'm working, is it actually less of the call of God on my life because it's not a church job? right? I don't know about you, I've, I've just been wrestling with these things, and, you know, God's reminded me a lot in the last few months of the importance of knowing who I am, because it actually isn't dictated by my place of work. It's dictated by, number one, God, number two, who I am, and then out from that place flows what I do. And what I want to unpack for you guys today hopefully makes a little bit of sense, and I want to teach you things that I learned the hard way <laughs> that I got wrong, but also things from the Word of God, because that's ultimately such a great foundation. And I've got this whiteboard because I want to partner my points with a bit of a visual so you can remember a picture at least. You know, I don't remember what he said, but there was the triangle, you know? <laughs> so I'll draw it in a sec. 
But I want to kind of take you on a three-part de- developmental, that's a big word, developmental journey on identity and this concept of identity and get really practical and really biblical and help anyone of any age understand a really healthy framework to figure out who we are. Because it's quite a confronting question. Look in the mirror and be like, who am I? All right? And I hope that you've been asking yourself those questions during this series because it might be confronting, but it's really important. Amen? So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you my title. Sound good? Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. Thank you that you're already here. The worship was so beautiful. We can feel your presence. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're already moving in people's hearts. Thank you that you're here. You're with us. And I pray, God, that your word would go forth and people will be blessed by what you have to say this morning as we sit under your word in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my title for today in... What did they say? If you're taking notes, which is like the passive-aggressive, please take notes. I used to be a teacher, remember, so I know if you're not. It's the identity pyramid. Back when I was at school, I did the food pyramid. It didn't really work. I still have abs underneath a layer of protection, you know? But uh, don't we all? (laughs) But it's the identity pyramid, and I want to read a scripture for you guys, and this will be kind of the main text I'm going to keep going back to today. And I think it's a really beautiful scripture about who we are. It's found in Galatians 4, verses 4 through to 7. And it reads, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. I mean, there is so much amazing truth in there about who we are already. We could kind of just meditate on this for 10 minutes and go home. But my ego is too big to silence myself. So you're going to have to put up with me for at least 18 more minutes, all right? So... This kind of unpacks a few identity steps that I want to take you guys through today. And the first one today, the first stage, I guess, of identity is called, what I want to say, number one, what we do. So I'm just going to write what, because writing is hard, but what we do. And I'm sure most of you have been in a social setting before where you introduce yourself by name. You're like, hi, I'm Christian, nice to meet you. Like, yeah, cool, I'm Bob, nice to meet you. What's the next question? What do you do, all right? And it's almost our go-to, awkward, I don't know you very well, but tell me about your job, you know? I'm just going to freeze or I'm feeling sweaty, you know? But what do you do? And actions and behaviors and decisions all form up this very basic form of identifying ourselves. And I don't want to sit here and tell you that this is a bad thing. What you do is actually quite important. Um, But we need to make sure we progress from this place. Because the danger, if we stay here in what we do, we become task-driven, performance-based, very high risk of burnout, you know, can develop a pretty fragile sense of worth. Because then when we stop doing what we do, who are we? In Luke 18, 9 to 14, there's a really brutal example from Jesus when he addresses this behavior of a Pharisee in one of his parables. And I'm going to read it for you and explain what happens. Luke 18, 9 to 14 from the NIV says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness 
Everyone's already feeling convicted, right? (laughs) And looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Off to a good start, mate. (laughs) What a legend. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Savage. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think it's a pretty clear example of the danger of getting stuck in what I do. If we look at the tax collector, he didn't talk about what he'd done. He knew what he'd done. He didn't need a reminder, but he said, I'm a sinner. That's why I need your help. Where the irony of this other guy, the Pharisee, he'd studied the Word of God, he could read and write, which meant at the time, culturally, he was actually quite intelligent, ironically, a bit of a moron. (laughs) But he said, look at all these things I've done, I'm the man, I do this, I do that, and I'm not like that idiot over there, therefore, bless me God. And it's just kind of like, you got it wrong, mate. Take away all those things you do, who are you? Probably not the best bloke to hang out with. I don't want to invite him over for dinner, but the tax collector's welcome. (laughs) I've done a lot of ministry over the years, and um, I used to, apparently, according to the Instagram post. (laughs) I'm kidding, social media team, don't be offended, I'm sorry. (laughs) But one thing I've noticed about repentance, here you go, we're going there, it's like point one, talking about repentance, um, is it's often misunderstood as behavioral change, as opposed to a change in thinking and life. And I think if we get caught up in behavior modification, we stay stuck here. You know, I've had lots of young people say, oh, Christian, I've made a mistake, I've done this. Or Christian, look how good this is, I've done this. And the funny thing is about those statements is neither of them actually speak too much into the identity of the person. It's just an expression of what they did, right? And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in identifying ourselves solely on what we do, and that's really dangerous. We need to be wary there's there's a risk of getting stuck in the good and all bad things we do We must remember that repentance is much more than a change of behavior. We must know that it's a God-inspired way of thinking and living that we cannot manage without Jesus, right? I'm not here to talk about repentance being what you do, but it's just a very limited sense of identity. And I want to ask a few questions around this point. It's like, are you sitting here? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you maybe comparing too much with someone else at the workplace, church, do you suffer with jealousy? Or are you overcompetitive? Or maybe you are so successful that you've forgotten God in parts of your life. These are some of the real risks of getting stuck in a what I do identity. And I really want to tell you that I've been here in all of those questions. I've definitely been tired, worn out, compared too much, been too proud. And I know that you guys in silence said yes to all of them. <laughs> But I want to come back to our main scripture for today in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I will underline this part for this point. I wanted to say to redeem those under the law. Before Jesus came, what the people of Israel did was actually so important because that was actually how they earned their righteousness. But because of Christ, it's no longer what. What is definitely helpful, but there's so much more. 
Further down, it says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And I've underlined this for this point too. So you are no longer a slave. If we get stuck here, we can become a slave to what we do. We can get oppressed by what we do because when we don't do it, our whole identity is shaken. And when we do do it, our whole identity is shaken. And I want you guys to understand that you are no longer a slave. And if you disagree with me, then you're going to have to disagree with the Bible too because I'm literally just telling you what the Bible says. (laughs) What you do can and should be a beautiful expression of how you live as a Christ-centered person. Jesus set us free from law and slavery. Therefore, with that in mind, what we do actually can be a really healthy part of our identity. And I believe this then stems from the next part of our identity, which is number two, who we are. You guessed it, who, (laughs) because writing is still hard, all right? So the second point today is who we are. I work currently, I forget I didn't even tell you where I work now, (laughs) Bunnings, I'm kidding. Bunnings is great. It was always an option. I'm not going to lie. It's my favorite place. <laughs> I spend too much money there. Um, but I work in a place called intensive therapeutic care, which is basically a really complicated way of saying, I guess, youth work or social work, but for some of the most traumatized, damaged young people in our country, um, people who can't live with their families, can't even live with loved ones because it's too unsafe for them. Lots of police and ambulance on a weekly basis. The kind of work where you need a day off after you have a day on. You know, I'm currently doing five days on a fortnightly schedule to keep it healthy for my own sake. But I think some of these kids, with their trauma and with their lifestyle, they suffer a lot when they get stuck in the what I do because it develops into a who I am. Because then it becomes not, I've done something wrong, it then graduates into I am something wrong. And that can either be based on what's happened to them or what they've done, even a silly mistake. It could be spilling a milk, a milk, a glass of milk. English is hard too. (laughs) And they think, oh, this isn't a bad thing. I'm a bad thing. And a lot of what I'm doing as as a worker in intensive therapeutic care is helping these young people kind of unlearn all the way back up to here and relearn who they are and helping them understand that you're not bad. You're not a mistake. You're not your trauma. You're not your bad experiences. And I think a lot of what we need to understand is this who we are is so crucial. The response to something like shame is confidence, you know, and it's confidence will tell you that when you achieve or do something seemingly good, that you are able to accomplish that because then you are good. You are capable. You are called, whatever you want to put in there. And the good and bad example is quite minimal here, so I want to get practical with someone in the audience, and I haven't asked them if I can do this, so if they get in trouble, you know, it's definitely on me. But I wanted to mention Brother Nick, Nicholas Corey. Um, We had an amazing conversation on the phone last week. They are great friends to Anastasia and myself. The man brought over Messina ice cream in the pandemic when there was 5K lockdown, so that was was it. I knew we were in (laughs) for life. (laughs) So I'm going to call you next time we're sick. Salted caramel, please. Um, But we had a great chat on the phone um, because if you haven't met Nick, you need to find out within the first two seconds of meeting him, he's probably going to try to get you saved and bless you (laughs) because this guy's an evangelist, right? And uh, we were having a conversation. Nick was talking about his evangelism and he's like, am I an evangelist because God says 
or am I evangelist because someone else told me that I am, and therefore I decided to believe that and take actions towards that? And we had a really great conversation, and he pre- pre- proceeds to tell me he's gotten like three people saved this week at work, and I'm like, of course, you know? <laughs> like, I just went to work, it just worked, you know? <laughs> I'm not comparing myself, I'm stuck with what I do. Um, but I was thinking about the answer to those questions, even though we already found out what I think, and I think the answer is yes. <laughs> it's both, both ends. Because yes, you are called by God, and you've allowed God, thank you, Luke, he's, he's the only one hollering at Daddy today, you know? <laughs> you are called by God. It's so obvious that the hand of God's on your life, and you've allowed Him to do all that He can do. But also, on the other hand, you realize that that is who you are. Therefore, you do all you can do in partnership with God's call on your life, and people get saved. You know, who's been blessed by Nick in this church? Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot more than we're at the working bee, that's for sure. (laughs) Sorry, I won't bring it up again. (laughs) I'm never coming back. Um, but, uh, (laughs) But you have such a gift on your life, because it's not what you do. It's who you are. I'd probably argue you can't not do it. You see a man or a woman in need of Jesus, good luck. They're getting saved. Can we just stretch out our hands to Nick right now? I'd love to pray for you, bro. Lord, I thank you that we have such a great example in this congregation of a man of God who knows who he is. I pray that we'd see every seat in this auditorium filled because of the evangelism of people like Nick in this place. I thank you that it's not what he does, it's who you've called him to be and who he chooses to be as a mighty man, as an evangelist. Bless him so much, God. Bless his family, bless his finances, bless his relationships, every single part of this guy's life. I pray that you would bring to abundant, overflowing, as it says in John 10, 10, life and life in abundance, Jesus, over Nick and the Corey family in Jesus' name. Amen. You're an inspiration, bro, for real. And I couldn't think of a better example that we all know and love to talk about this who I am how good that one word from Jesus can change who we are, hey? And that's, there's a word for your life. Just like Nick found out he was an evangelist from God, there's a word for your life. And I challenge you, figure it out. In Matthew 16, we all know Peter in the, in the New Testament. He's a guy that just made every mistake ever, twice, <laughs> three times arguably. Um, if you get it, you get it. But there's a beautiful transformation that occurs within Peter the disciple in his maturity as a Christian. And we can see it, I'm going to bring up two scriptures and talk about his transformation. And the first one is in Matthew 16, 18. And it's Jesus talking to Peter, telling him who he is. This is probably after he's cut off the bloke's ear, I think. So, Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You've got to understand, this guy then denied Jesus a couple of times. And uh, made a few more big mistakes. <laughs> I loved his confidence. Just no wisdom, you know. And uh, this, this word about who he was was spoken into him when he was an um, immature disciple. A few moments later, years later go by, Jesus is resurrected and we get in, into Acts, right? And what's amazing is the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. I'm sure you guys have heard Acts 1-8 preached here quite regularly because it's not just for then, it's for now. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come 
as the gift that Jesus has left behind to the disciples. And the disciples are in the upper room and they get filled. And who is the first person to leave the upper room and preach to the masses? It's Peter. But that wouldn't have happened if in the Gospels, Jesus didn't tell him who he was. And we look at that scripture historically as the time that birthed the church. So he actually got a revelation of who he was so far before the moment he stepped out in faith, but he was only able to do what he needed to do because Jesus told him who he was, right? So who are you? (laughs) Sorry, that was confronting, (laughs) but not. I want to go back to Galatians 4, 4 to 7 again. Um, If you could get it on the screen, that'd be awesome. We get back to the, when the time had fully come, God sent a son, born of woman, born under to the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because, this is where I want us to focus on with the second point, you are his sons and daughters. You are his sons and daughters. That's not a what you do, that's a who you are. God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba Father, so you you are no longer a slave, but, again here, God's child. You are a child of God. Not what you are, who you are. And since you are a child, God also made you an heir. You are an heir, who you are. Do you believe that you're a child of God? You're not a slave, but a free person. Do you believe that you are redeemed? Do you believe that you are forgiven? That you are the righteousness of God? That you are set free from sin? What else can you be? Kind, joyful, grateful, generous, an evangelist, who are you? This leads me to my third, and I'd probably say the most powerful point and the foundation of the pyramid, which is whose you are. Number three, whose you are. I did have to check how to spell this accurately, you know? Do I do the apostrophe? Where do I put it? Is there an apostrophe? No. Whose you are. And if the keys could come up so everyone can start crying, that'd be great. So, back to the main scripture, Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the time had fully come, blah, 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 redeem under law, I want us to focus here that we might receive adoption to sonship. I always get teary because I have a boy now and whenever I talk about this, just, oh, I'm okay. My eyes are leaking though. I'm going to (laughs) need to get back in there. This is a game changer. Whose you are, you, you need to understand that this can and will and should change your life because it changed mine. And I remember, oh, come on. Yeah, I know, I'm just taking the long road. <laughs> when, I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I, I actually went through a lot of change and transformation for a couple of years. I actually had a lot of counseling and stuff like that because prior to that, I've, my upbringing was pretty hectic had a father get sick, pass away um, from multiple sclerosis when I was about 12 years old. Had an abusive fella come and marry my mum and live with us, and he was a, a bit of a bad guy. And a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse. And uh, I was a really broken young man. I turned to alcohol, I turned to all kinds of things to fill the hole in my heart. I stonewalled, pushed people away. I wasn't a pleasant person to be around. And I know that hasn't changed. (laughs) All the people who get roasted for the working bee can agree. Um, (laughs) But when I went through my salvation journey, I actually quickly understood 
how to do this point right, the what. And I honestly, after a few counseling sessions, I got to the who and I felt pretty good about who I was, which was great. But I still had this weird place in my heart that just something was missing. And for me, it was, it was the father heart of God that changed my life. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be emotional this quick. I'm trying to get emotional on the next page, you know. Um, but I remember this Irish man, Ken Symington, taught a series on the Father Heart of God. And I remember distinctly how he said what he did because at the end of his points, he said, isn't that powerful in an Irish accent? And he kept on saying, isn't that powerful? You know, I just we all laughed about it because we were trying not to cry. Um, and I just got this revelation that if these are in check, but this isn't, then it's wasted. Because who am I doing this for? Who am I living for? What am I doing all this for? These aren't bad things, but if I'm not doing it because I'm a son of God and he's my father, then it's in vain. And I love the Luke 15 story. And if I think about a scripture that has changed my life and then it's my life lesson to give, it's the Luke 15 prodigal son story. Speaking of prodigal sons, I brought Andy back, everyone. So, um. <laughs> sorry, mate. But I had a, when I, when I learned this story, I had a bit of a that will do me moment. You know, those things that just hit you for six and you're like, that will do me. Like if it's a Holy Spirit night, you're on the floor kind of thing. And um, the Luke 15 story for me was just like, that will do me. And it, it just hit me for six, but I think it really nails the who's we are portion of this lesson. And there's this beautiful story in Luke 15. I'll paraphrase for sake of time, but if you haven't heard it, this young son says to his father, I want my inheritance now, so I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my payout now. He gets it. He blows it on a huge bender. And then he has this inner dialogue with himself when he realizes what he's done. Then he starts to forget who he is. And he has this sort of monologue that he's starting to play out as he starts to walk home. He even says, maybe I can go home and become one of my father's hired servants. Because he, he doesn't even believe that he's worthy to belong to his father. Oh, come on. And he's sort of walking, repeating this monologue, saying like, I am not worthy to be one of your hired servants. And you might know the story, but the father is waiting for him. <coughs> Sorry, on the, on the horizon, he sees his son walking home and he just runs. And the first thing he says isn't, what have you done? Isn't, give me my money. Isn't, welcome back, Andy. <laughs> he says, my son. This didn't matter to the father. This was the most important part that the father wanted to reinstate to the son's identity. You are my son. So now we're going to party and your older brother's going to get upset, but who cares, you know? <laughs> but I wanted you guys to understand today that the lesson I want to leave you with is ultimately you belong to Jesus. God is your father. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what you're going through, no matter what was done to you, you belong to God and he is your father and you are his child. Therefore, who you are, regardless of what you think, it must be pretty good. Because in God's eyes, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're valuable, you're worthy, 
you can. And then what you do, that's between you and Jesus. But it's going to come from a place of really strong health, isn't it? And what I'd love to do before I finish today is just pray. Maybe pray for a couple of people. I'd love for you guys, if you're just sitting where you are, to close your eyes and bow your heads, please, just out of respect for each other. And I want you just to think for a moment between you and God right now and my beautiful baby crying in the background, leading worship. But between you and Jesus, how are you going with you? How are you going with you? Are you maybe caught up in what you do, trying to figure it out? trying to control God's plan for your life? Have you forgotten who you are? Do you need a reminder whose you are? I'd really like to start by doing an altar call for people to know Jesus. And I don't know if you may have walked with God previously and walked away. It's been a pretty crazy couple of years, I understand. Or maybe it's your first time here today and you'd like to know this God personally and become a child of God. And so just where you're sitting, I'm going to count to three. And if you today would like to become a Christian and like to get to know this Jesus and this Father God who changed my life and makes me cry every time I speak, (laughs) I'm going to count to three and I'd like you to just pop your hand up privately. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to make sure I know who I'm praying for. So if you would like to get to know Jesus today and figure out whose you are, I already see your hand. Thank you so much. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Thank you so much. Anyone else? This is awesome. Okay, you guys can put your hands down. Oh, thank you, mate. I'll leave it a little bit longer if anyone else wants to jump in. That's fine. Beautiful. So what we're going to do now, we're going to pray because sticking your hand in the air doesn't make you a Christian. I wish it was that easy, you know. But what does is declaring what you believe in your heart. And we're going to pray that. So I want to ask you to repeat this prayer after me, everyone in the room, just so we're all doing this together. So could you guys say after me, please? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and paying the price for my sin. Thank you that I belong to you, God, and I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I am healed, I am whole. Help me, Holy Spirit, live a life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we please make a round of applause for these incredible people?